Judges chapter 6 and verse 22, and the 300 blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethsheda and Zarephath and to the border of Belmahola unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh. Those were tribes. Israel's divided into 12 tribes. Those were three of the 12. And pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah. Some commentators say that's interpreted as the house of the well and Jordan. Ephraim was one of the biggest tribes, but up to this point they had not been a part of the battle. But then it says all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. I'd like to speak on this subject this morning. Wonder working water. Wonder working water. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Last week we were talking about Gideon, this great story in the Bible about this man who really was not a general. He was just a, a farmer and the angel Lord came to him and described him as a mighty man of valor. Aren't you glad the Lord gives you the identity before he gives you the victory? Amen. Well, that's worth the price of admission right there. You just can go home with that. He declares who you are before you accomplish what he's already set in motion. That's why you can't get your identity from the world. You've got to get your identity from God. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're an overcomer. We define ourselves by our mistakes, but God doesn't. He defines us by our potential and our promises. And so Gideon was very much a person to question the logic of heaven as to how he was this going to be this great general. He was just... Um, farmer and he was even doing the threshing floor and the wheat and the process that they did and even then he was sort of in a position where he was hiding it was it was nothing that would indicate that there was going to be this mighty victory and the Midianites and the Malachites two of the largest armies in the world at that time had combined together and they were just spread all out all over the whole valley there in this northern part of Israel up uh, near the Galilee area and he said, yeah, well, you're going to have the victory. And of course, Gideon had to do all these fleeces and all these things to make sure, you know, there wasn't some sort of a mix-up in the communication lines of heaven and the Lord telling the angel and them getting the wrong address and all that. He had to sort of reconfirm that this was indeed something that was ordained by God. And everything came back that this indeed was something that God was going to do. God does something. He does it. It's illogical. We want to sort of, you know, hedge our bets. But God wants you to know that it was from him because it couldn't be anything else. So sometimes he has to eliminate all the other options before he steps in. And so 32,000 men gathered together. That may sound like a lot, but in those days, that was not that many as they did all their fighting, you know, in hand-to-hand combat. And so 32,000, and the Lord looks at the army of Israel, and Gideon is thinking, this army is way too small. And the Lord is saying, this army is way too large. And he tells Gideon, you need to, uh, you got too many people. You've got to thin them out. You do? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Gideon, he probably didn't say this out loud, but if he's human, he's thinking this, because we would have all thought it. Uh, God, have you looked at the size of the enemy by chance? The Bible says that the enemy was so large, they were spread out, and it said they were like grasshoppers. It said even their camels were without number. Now, camels are a pretty big animal. They kind of stand out. Them two humps up there on the back. The camels were without number. The Bible describes this army, the Midianites and the Amalekites, as the, the sand of the sea. Which is interesting to me because that's how the Lord described the promise he was going to give to Abraham. He said, your seed is going to be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And yet here the enemy is spread out described as the sand of the sea. See, the enemy wants to appear to be as strong as what God has already promised you. It's going to be a long 30 minutes. I can see here. 
So 32,000 men, the Lord says, tell all the ones that don't want to uh, fight that they can uh, go home. Say what? If they're fearful, you know, Miss Mama's cooking, they can just go home if they want to. Just tell them all they can go home. So Gideon, probably using the limited amount of psychology that he had as a, as a new leader, said, now there's probably some of you amongst the group of the mighty men that are chicken. So you're probably afraid to fight for the cause of your nation. Can't imagine who they would be, but maybe there's a few amongst you. If you want to, you can kind of slip off and go back home. And we won't hold it against you. And 22,000 said, we're out of here. So there's 10,000 left. And I'm thinking that Gideon is saying to the Lord, Lord, are you happy now? There's only 10,000. The Lord said, you got too many men still. Is this a suicide mission? He says, take them down to the water. And we talked about this last week in the posture of a champion. He said, take them down to the water and let's see how they drink from the, from the, uh, the springs of Harid. So they brought them down there and he said, if they just get down on their knees and put their head in the water and drink, those are not the ones we want. We want the ones that, that kneel down and they got their eyes out and, and they lap the water up out of the, out of the spring with their hand and they lap it like a dog out of their hand. And so he's thinking, oh boy. This is not going to be good. I know these guys. They don't really have a lot of manners. This is not going to be a good scene. So they take them all down there to the water. and Sure enough, Gideon maybe had talked to some of his key officers and they're looking around and it looks like pretty much everybody's got their head in the water. Once in a while they're like, wait, I see one. That guy? Go get him. When it's all said and done, 9,700 of them had just stuck their head in the water and only 300 were left. And the Lord says, now it's time to go to battle. And of course, they go to battle. We read a little bit about this. The Lord gives them this great victory. And as I was studying this uh, last week, I saw something that was sort of the continuation of the battle that just arrested my attention. And that is, it wasn't over once... There had been this great shout. They had these 300 men put torches around and had a clay vessel. And they, they all got 100 on each side, 100 over here, 100 over here. And all the enemy was spread out all over the valley. And at the sound of the trumpet, they broke the clay vessel and they held the torch up and they all ran down. And uh, it, they were so surprised, the Amalekites and the Midianites, they all started, they started killing each other. How many of you know the Lord will confuse your enemy? He will confuse your enemy. And so they did it. So then they just all took off running. And now they only got 300 guys. And they got to chase all these thousands and thousands of men. And, and so it looks like they're escaping. And Gideon's like, oh, no, we got to, you know, rally. We got to round them up because, you know, if we don't destroy the enemy, we're going to end up fighting them again. And so he calls on, he sends messengers to the tribe of Ephraim. He goes, now, I want you, you to help us if you can. They're going to go through this way and this these waters they're going to go over. These were not just waters. They were strategic waters. Where Ephraim flows down, it's the headwaters to the Jordan River. Now, in the Middle East, especially the Palestine Holy Land area, that Jordan River is the life of that entire area. And you know this, whoever controls the headwaters controls all the downstream waters. And so this area... These streams which would run down from uh, the mountain district of Ephraim into the Jordan. They went through this district called Bethshea. And it, was, it would form pools. It would kind of flatten there. And it would form like marshes and pools. And then it would narrow again. And, and then it would become uh, the, the, the sort of the beginning of the Jordan River as it flowed out of the Sea of Galilee. So all these were tributaries. And he said, it's important that we go down... And he said, they're going to have to cross through this area. And if we can control that region, we'll not only defeat them, but we'll be in a good position. So they, they, they knew that this was an important strategic location. And these waters were so crucial as to who could control the Jordan River. And the reason is, is because water in a natural sense is a life sustainer. It was life for their flocks. It was life for their livestock. It was life for the people. A number of years ago, uh, 
going back now some 37 years, I, I remember when I uh, first started doing missions trip and I went to Europe, I started noticing all these these big cities in Europe are all on water. I mean, cities that are at least 500 years old, like London, Paris, Barcelona, whatever. All these capital cities of Europe, they were all on water. Because you know how it was. They didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have trains. They had to have that water because it was a source of their supplies coming and going. And if you go even further back than that, you go back to Jerusalem, thousands of years old. Even Jerusalem had a water source. They were these these wells of Hezekiah that was a spring base that's under that area. In fact, when David was going to take uh, Jerusalem, he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, in charge now of the forces there in Israel. And he'd gone through all of the things that he went through before he, he assumed that, that role of king. And, and the people that controlled uh, Jerusalem, they were like, this city is so fortified that even the blind and the lame could die. How are y'all going to... And so David said, to, whichever one of you can figure out a way into Jerusalem, I'll make you my, my, uh, my general, my leader. So that's how Joab became the head leader of David's army, because Joab discovered these tunnels of Hezekiah. And when you go to Israel, you could, we actually have walked through it. And water will be like up to your knees. And you go through these tunnels. And the water, it's, it was channels of where the springs that came up would flow through these tunnels. And it became a water source for Jerusalem. And that's how David and his men conquered Jerusalem. They found the water source. Oh, my friend, if you can find the water source, Now, I'm talking about the natural, but I'm illustrating the spiritual. If you can find the water source, you can have victory. I don't care how big the enemy is. I don't care how intimidating the enemy is. I don't care how it appears the enemy is fortified. I'm here to tell you that there's a spring of water somewhere. And if you can find that spring, you can have the victory. You may have everything going against you, but I've come to preach to you today that there is some wonder-working water called the Spirit of God that will give you victory. It will sustain you and give you life. And if you want to eliminate your opponent, you would, you would always try to take away their water supply. This is something that they did all throughout you know, history. Vilsteins tried to take away Isaac's water supply after... His father Abraham had died. He was now in charge of all the flocks and servants and all that that God had blessed Abraham with. The Philistines, which was their opponent, kind of like the Amalekites and the, and the Midianites, they, they fought the Philistines all the time. And so these Philistines, they came in and they tried to stop up all the water, all the wells. The Bible said they filled them with earth. And they tried to stop it because they were like, we're going to go ahead and destroy Isaac before he gets started. This is why I believe the Lord gives us the word of God that says, remember me, remember God in the days of your youth. Because a lot of times the enemy attacks young people before they realize the potential they have of how God's going to use them. He wants to try to eliminate them. But oh, hallelujah. I'm glad to tell you that there's a God, hallelujah, that can give you the victory. He can give you the headwaters. Sometimes you're like, uh, oh, pastor, I'm not going to go way down there. I'm not going to do that sin. Oh, I would never do that. But you know what you got to do? Uh, you got to get control of the headwaters uh, before it becomes a rushing mighty river. You got to get control of your thought life. Uh, you got to get control of your anger. You got to get control of your spirit you got to get control of your heart because if you can control the headwaters you can control the river and so isaac did the right thing he didn't try to dig new wells he he dug the dirt out of the existing wells we don't need a new doctrine we don't need a new doc we don't need a new way of having church all we've got to do is dig out the earth and the dirt because god's given every one of us a well but the cares of life wants to fill it up with dirt oh my friend all you got to do is go back to the same altar all you got to do is go back to the same god it's still hero israel the lord our god is one it's still one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's still repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the outpouring of His Spirit. In the Old West, they would fight to get control of the head springs because whoever's closest to the spring can stop up the water from going downstream and take those out that are downstream. And so in the Old West, they would do that, you know. They go out there and they get some land along the water, and whoever was closest up to the head spring could could dam it up and stop. And in fact, under the old common law, you know, our judicial 
um, system in America outside of Louisiana, which is based on civil law. Our, our law structure is based on common law, which comes um, out of England. In the common law, they developed something that's called riparian rights. And riparian rights gave people a right to the water that their land touched. So if you got land and it had a stream running through it, you had a right to that water. You had riparian rights. If your land touched the water, even though you were downstream, you had a legal right to the water. That's why when the lady with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, he felt virtue go out of him, Jesus. And he said, who touched me? And they said, well, master, there's people pushing and shoving all around. He said, no, no, somebody touched me. I felt virtue go out of my body. Somebody with faith, somebody with desire touched my body. And heaven said, they got a legal right to the, oh, they got a legal right to the well of living water called physical healing. And immediately she was healed in her body. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you can touch him, you got a right to the power and the presence of God. So suffice it all to say that water in the natural sense has been a sustainer of life, a source of strength, and a spoil of war. Jesus made it clear that water had a spiritual nature. He said you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Being born again requires this this tandem, as it were, of water and Spirit. John records the words of Jesus where he says in the last day, the great day of the feast that Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He's saying when you come to the Lord, there's water that comes with it. Wonder working water, supernatural water. The natural man may need that glass of water, but the spiritual man needs spiritual waters. And you can't get it from anything in this world. You can't get it from how much money you got or your relationships. You're not ever going to find the purpose that you're longing for because the innermost man needs spiritual water. But there is an artesian well called the power and the presence of God that is available to every man. He goes on to describe it and say that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly, your innermost being. Then he went on to further describe what he's talking about because that conjures up a word picture that's kind of unique. I got a river running out of my belly. My kids, when they were little, they used to love to sing that song. Out of my belly. Gonna flow, 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 flow. You got a living water. You should have been there when I came. Church was on fire in the whole. I don't even remember all the words. How's it go? All I remember is out of your belly. Flow, 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 flow. My kids used to think that song was so funny. They'd say, let's sing that song about water flowing out of your belly. Out of your belly, 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 belly. But it was the Lord that gave us this word picture of out of the belly. He's, he's talking about this innermost man in your belly, in the, in, the, in the heart of a human, in the soul of a human being, that there can be a river of living water. I'm talking about a source of strength that can sustain you in the midst of problems and trials. I'm talking about a river that is a rest and a refreshing. I'm talking about having a a, a connection to heaven that says it doesn't matter what you're going through. I'm going to make a way. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you the life that you need, the joy that you need. I'm going to give you the help. I can sustain you. I can give you strength. Hallelujah. And he said, it was available for they that believe would receive. And John just sort of added this. In the Bible, it's in parentheses. He says, but this felt like he had to explain the words of the Lord. When the Lord talked about this belly and livid water and all that. He said, 
But this spake he of the Spirit. So we all know what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Spirit, this refreshing, this sustaining nature of water to, to explain that the Spirit would transform us internally. How does it happen? I don't know. But there's this moving of God that comes upon us as human beings and no man can deny it. Woo! I mean, when you come into an atmosphere like we've already felt this morning and you feel God coming into your heart and your spirit, you can know that is something that can only come from God. That's not conjured up with good music. That's not conjured up with an air-conditioned building. That is the power of God. And I feel it in my soul. Just as mankind has been dependent on water for sustaining life, we are dependent upon the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to have church. We need the Spirit of God every day of our life. We wake up in the morning. We ought to say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on, get the waters flowing early in the morning. I want the Spirit of God to go with me today when I get in my car, when I go to my job. Woo! When I go to my school, wherever you're going, oh, the Spirit of God's going to go with me. Hallelujah. I've got a source of strength. I've got that river that's flowing in my innermost being. And it brings peace. Have you ever noticed that people will pay good money to be able to look at water? Your motel room will be more if it's looking out over water. If you go to reserve a motel that's on the water in Florida, they'll say, you have an option when you reserve your room. It'll say, water view? Or the other option is, Florida view. That means parking lot. <laughs> Just a little tidbit to give you a little help in reserving your summer vacation. But you're going to pay more if you want a water view. Because something about water is relaxing to just look at it. Hear the sound of the ocean and walk along the beach. And I mean, to think about it, your, your house is more valuable if it is waterfront. Why is that? Because it's serene, it's relaxing, it's peaceful. Where the water is visible. There's something about the presence of God that brings peace. I think that's why Jesus said, peace be still. Even though they were on the water and they were in the midst of a storm and the disciples said on that boat, Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they said, Master cares not that we perish. And they brought him up there and the waves and the wind and the, and the water and everything. And it's interesting when you read that because Jesus says, peace be still. Because they were on the water. But he never rebuked the water. He rebuked the wind, but he spoke to the water. He knew who the instigator was. It's like you got kids and they both come and they've been fighting. And you're like trying to be, you know, fair to everybody. But you know little Johnny started it. Now, Billy, you need to be good too. Peace be still. But Johnny... Go to your room. And this is how you know Jesus was the master because nature was like his kids. You think about it. He could spit in the dirt and put a mud ball in your eye and it'd become an eyeball. Who else can change those properties except the creator? Who else can speak to the wind like a child? I say, ah, ah, I told you about that. And then say to the water, peace be still. He was saying he knew that the water was simply reacting to the wind. The water is affected by the wind. The wind had stirred it up, but the water was reacting. Can I give you a little piece of advice this morning? Don't let the water of your spirit get stirred up by the wind of public opinion. God has given us a well. God has given us peace. But if we're not careful, we'll hear all kind of voices and this one broadcasting that. And then and the wind just howling and blowing around and all that stuff. And before you know it, that river of living water is all troubled waters. And you're all bubbling up and bubbling over. You know what? You need to turn off that wind and you need to get to east wind. <laughs> 
was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because the only wind that's going to blow in here is going to be the power and the presence of God that says all is well. My spirit is well. My soul is well with me. Jesus is saying, peace be still. Peace be still. Don't be troubled by everything going on around you. Don't let the, the wind mess up the water, the presence of God. It wants to stir your spirit up. Oh, if I can just get into His presence. And I can feel the embrace of His loving arms. I still believe the Lord is saying, peace be still. And I'm going to tell you something. You can have everything going wrong and still feel the presence of God. I mean, I had to, I had to go up this, uh, I was telling the church earlier today in the early service. I had to go up to Chattanooga today on, uh, this week on Thursday. And, and I was in meetings on Thursday and Friday when I got my meetings finished. I was, I'd been following online because the... The intermediate and the experienced Bible quizzers were quizzing in a tournament in Pensacola, Florida. And they had started on Thursday, and they, they quizzed Thursday night and Friday, Saturday morning. And it's, it's called an extravaganza. It's a big tournament because they qualify for the national tournament and all that. So when we got to uh, Friday night, the, the, the four teams that were left, they had gone all through, you know, there was, I think, 16 teams in the intermediate, 18 teams or whatever. 18 intermediate, 16 in experience. But there was a lot of teams there, and they were all over from the southeast. But when they got down to the final four, three of the final four were Palm Bay kids. And I, I said, man, I'm, I'm done up here in checking. I want to get down there. And I had to rent a car, but I, I, anyways, I, I made some changes in my, in my schedule, and I got them to let me return my rent a car in Pensacola. And, uh, and I got, instead of flying on Chattanooga, I could fly back on Pensacola. And I got all that worked out. And so by 7 o'clock, I was on the road. And I was headed to Pensacola because I said, I want to be there on Saturday morning when they quiz in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. And so I started making my way down there. And uh, it's like six and a half hours. And I'm in a rental car. And uh, so as I'm making my way down there and I'm going through all these little, these little roads and, and going down through, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, all down in there, making my way down to Pensacola. I called my wife and... She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm driving to Pensacola. She said, what? Because I've learned, I've been married 18 years now, and I know it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. She's like, you're doing what? I said, I'm driving to Pensacola. She's like, how long? I said, six hours. She said, it's going to be like 1.30, 2 o'clock before you get there. And I said, yeah, I know, but I'm going to move into the central time zone, so I'll get an extra hour, you know? And uh, she said, well, you can talk with me, and, and I'll keep you awake. And so... We were talking and all that. And I said, I'm good to go, man. I got to rent a car. They had given me a Dodge Charger. Solid black with only 2,000 miles on it. Small towns in Georgia and Alabama are not designed for chargers. Unless you're the police, I guess. And so I'm trying to navigate all that and slowing down and this and that. So I'm not thinking it'd be a good idea for you to get a hotel room. Pensacola. I, I'm not thinking about it. I'm just navigating all of this and talking. And I, I had some groceries right there, and I was set. Dodge Charger, groceries, open road. My wife on the phone, her pleasant, melodious voice. I could have driven all night. Little did I know I was going to. Because as I got down closer to the coast, this fog rolled in. And you couldn't see 10 feet in front of your car. And uh, she said, um, honey, have, have you made a hotel reservation? I'm like, yeah, I'll get it. I mean, it's Pensacola. They got lots of hotels. I'll find something. And I'm trying to navigate this fog. And I'm trying to make sure, you know, the speed limits of these small towns. And me with this black charger going through all these little towns. And I'm trying to look out, you know, for smoking the man and all this. So I'm, I'm working my way down. And I keep forgetting that I need to make a reservation. Finally, about an hour out, it's like, I don't know, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning at this point. I said, okay, I better get a hotel room. 
Bad planning, David Ellis Myers. Because every... I try to go on the app first and get, go through all the different ones. And I started getting concerned when the, the, the hotel suggestions to me were like 60 miles from Pensacola. And I was like, what's going on in Pensacola? And finally, I go through all of these. I can't find a room. I can't find a room. I'm going through all these apps, navigating fog, small towns, getting down there. It's getting later and later and later. I finally get a room in Gulf Breeze, which is, is kind of a, the area on the beach side of that area, Pensacola up there. And, and uh, it was like 14 miles down the way. But I was like, well, at least that's not as far as, you know, Tallahassee or Mobile. So I'm like, okay, it'll be a little bit longer. So I work my way there. When I get down there to Pensacola, and again, we're fighting fog, heavy, heavy fog. So I get down there to Pensacola. It's in the middle of the night. And then I have to work my way. Little did I know that the bridge that goes to uh, Gulfport is out. Because the hurricane last year took it out and they're under under repair. So you got to go way down I-10 over to Milton, which is east. And then you got to work your way down another uh, bridge and then go. So it's like 40 extra minutes. So I'm working my way through that. I'm thinking, oh, man, now it's 2 o'clock. It's 2.30. I'm working my way through them and all that. And I'm getting close. Finally, I get to the hotel. I'm like, oh, thank God I made it. I, I literally got out of the car and said, thank you, Jesus. I had, I had been fighting fog and, and all this. You can't hardly see. Everybody on the interstate had on hazard light. I mean, it was just heavy, heavy fog. So I finally get there. I'm exhausted. And I go into the front desk. And there's a girl there at the counter. And, and uh, I said, uh, you know, my name's David Myers. And, and uh, she said, I've only been working here a week. I said, okay. And uh, she said, we've just, uh, we haven't had the hotel open but about a month. I'm like, wow, it looks nice. It looks new. I'm thinking, oh, my room's going to be comfortable. This is going to be amazing. I'm just going to fall asleep. Because quizzing starts at 9. I'll probably have to get up at 8. I've got to drive 40 minutes back over there, probably 7.30. It's already 3 o'clock. Maybe I'll get four hours sleep. Maybe. This girl starts talking. She wants to talk. I don't want to talk. I just want a key. She starts talking all about her former job. And she said, what are you doing in Pensacola? And I said, oh, my son's in a Bible quiz tournament. And our kid and I pastor a church. We're trying to, you know, they're doing and here in Saturday. I'm kind of, and then I got to leave and fly. And da, da, da. So I'm telling all this. And she starts saying, you know, my former job, we used to have a different computer system. And she said, oh, the computer system's resetting itself. I literally stand in front of her five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. There's nobody else in line. It's the middle of the night. And I'm exhausted. I'm standing in front of her. Okay. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She's like, well, you probably feel terrible. Oh, no, she says, and you're a diamond medallion member. I'm probably going to lose my job. She starts crying. I said, I mean, I just need a room. She's like, okay, let me see if I can do this. Oh, good, it's booting back up. I said, okay. And then I'm thinking we're getting close. And it was like somebody kept moving the finish line. And, and then she said, you know, I only make $11 an hour. And I'm trying to be kind. I've told her I was a pastor, so I'm trying to be a good Christian. She said, I can upgrade you. I said, ma'am, I don't need to be up. Oh, no. She's like, the upgraded room says it's dirty. I said, I don't, honestly, all I need is like a bed and a shower. I'm only going to be there about three and a half hours. I just, I need to get some sleep. I've driven through all this fog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she works on it. Anyhow, after about 20 minutes... I see the little plastic keys are coming out. And I'm thinking, that's a sign of hope. She puts on the magnetic thing. She said, here's a room. It's just right down here. I said, okay, thank you so much. She's like, I am so sorry about the delay. And I said, oh, it's fine. I'm not going to. She already said, I'm sorry, under time. I just want to go to my room. I go to my room. I put the key and I open the door. There's Chick-fil-A boxes all over the room. All the bed and the pillows and sheets are all crumpled up like that. And there's towels on the floor in the bathroom. I'm like... I can't stay in this room. I mean, I've already had COVID, but this room looked like COVID. It could have been like the poster. 
It was like the poster child for COVID. And I went back there. I said, "That ma'am, that room's dirty. Oh, she said, it said in the computer it was dirty, but I didn't believe it. She's like, I'm going to give you another room. I said, okay. She said, this one's on the fourth floor. I said, is it clean? She said, I think so. So I said, okay. So I grab all my stuff. I go down there, get in the elevator, go up there. I open up the door to the fourth floor room. It looks like there's been a spring break party in this room. There's alcohol bottles all over the place. Clothes. There were still clothes. I think the people hadn't left yet. They were somewhere in town still. Thankfully, they weren't in that room. And so I went back down. I said, that one's even worse than the first one. Oh, no, she said. And she punching more buttons and punching more buttons. At this point, I'd literally like have my head on the counter. And I'm just like, oh, no. She goes, what about if I give you a room that says out of order? I said, what does that mean exactly? She said, well, you know, we've only been open a month. I said, yes, I remember that. She said, well, some of the rooms aren't finished yet, so they're just, they're not renting them out yet. They're just out of order. I said, well, does like the, the shower and the toilet work? They got like a bed with sheets on it? I mean, if there's not like final molding or, you know, the car, I, I don't have to have that. I just, does, is it functional? She goes, I've never actually been in one of those rooms. So she gives me the key. I go in there, I open the door. There's no light switch. There's just a hole in the drywall. So I turn on the, the flashlight of my phone, I look around, it is a construction zone. I'm like, I can't stay in here. The mattress was vertical beside up against the wall. I went back down there and I said, uh, that's not, that's not going to work. I described the room. She said, that's why it says out of order. I said, ma'am, I'm just going to, I got to go find some place to sleep. I'll just go and try to find another hotel. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Please don't get me fired. I said, I won't. Just make sure it's not on my bill. Oh, it's still on my bill. They charged me for that night. So I went back, got my car. Now I'm fighting back through the fog. It's like 3.30 in the morning. I'm fighting. You know, how many of you know that when things start to go bad, they just keep going bad? It gets worse. And so I'm driving, I'm trying to make my way back over to Pensacola where I know they're going to be quizzing. So it's another 40 minutes. I get back over there. I start going hotel to hotel, hotel. And the guys, I, I'm the first one I stopped at was a holiday. And the guy's like, he literally laughed at me. He goes, you're trying to get a room? Yes, sir. He's like, we've been sold out since 11 o'clock. There's not a room available in all of Pensacola. You'll probably have to go to Tallahassee. It's three hours. I'm like, that's not an option. He's like, well, he's like, I don't know what to tell you. We've had 250 people try to reserve a room tonight since it's, it's already been full. He said, there's not. You can go around all the hotels. There's no room. So I went to the next hotel, which was right next door. I didn't believe him. At this point, I didn't believe anybody that worked behind the desk of a hotel. So I went, <laughs> I went to the next hotel, the same story. So I said, you know what? I'll just sleep in my car. I mean, at this point, I only had a couple hours left. So I'm like, I'll just sleep in my car, and, and I know uh, that our gang is staying at the Fairfield Inn, so I'll just go and park outside their hotel. And, and I didn't want to go in and call, you know, because those guys, you know, Gregor, and all, they were, Tyler, they were all asleep because they had to quiz in the morning. So I didn't want to upset them with all of my shenanigans. And so I'm like, I'll just go and stay in the car. I know they're at the Fairfield. I'll just sleep in my car, and then in the morning when they're waking up, I'll go and get a shower, and I'll be fine. So I go in there, and I... I get outside the Fairfield, and I find the Fairfield, and I park there, and I, I find this big oak tree, and I think, well, I'll kind of park under there. Maybe it'll keep shade from the lights. But there was like a Waffle House that was 24 hours, and people were coming and going out of there. And So I tried to find a little quiet area that was over there, and, uh, and I leaned the seat all the way back, and I'm thinking, I'll just fall asleep. But there's something weird about sleep, because, like, have you ever been so tired you can't go to sleep? So then I was so tired I couldn't go to sleep and I'm trying to, and I'm fiddling around and I'm thinking, well, I can't sleep this thing in the back. It's weird. And this body's really not designed to sleep in a Dodge Charger. 
And I can't get comfortable, you know, and I'm trying, I'm moving stuff all around, and I try to get in the back seat, and I finally get all curled up in the back seat, and I move the front seats forward, and I got this, and I got, uh, uh, and, and then there's like lights coming from the street lights and all that, so I'm hanging, cl- I got clothes hung up on the inside of my car, and I'm all curled up in a little ball, and I got a shirt over my head, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'll get maybe like 45 minutes of sleep. <laughs> all of a sudden, something's attacking my car! And I jump out of the back seat. I'm like, who is it? And there's nobody around. I was like, what was that? That's weird. So I get everything all situated back, put the shirt back over my head. I'm I'm going to fall back to back to sleep now. I'm going to go, this is for sure. This is the real thing. I'm really going to sleep now. Oh, this is going to be good. It'll only be 30 minutes, but oh, it's going to be such sweet sleep. Something's attacking the car again. I wake back up. I'm like, what the world's going on? The oak tree is dropping bombs on my car. So I move away from the oak tree. I move my car. I get in the front seat. Move it. I get over to another area. I get all settled back down. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to fall asleep now. And then just as I'm falling asleep, I'm in the back seat in our eyes and I can see all of a sudden a sliver of light appears on the back of the passenger seat. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. The cops have found me. Security has found me. Maybe I'm not supposed to be sleeping in a car. And I see this light, and I get up, and I'm like, "Uh," I'm looking all around, thinking, it's a cop? No, it's just a car driving by, headlights. I'm like, I can't sleep. I might as well work on my computer. So I got up and I started working on this message and the Lord started talking to me about peace. I'm like, Lord, I could really use some peace about now. Because it seems like everything around me is just keeping getting worse and worse. And I'm so exhausted, I'm not handling it all very well. And about that time I see I get an email. It's about 7 o'clock at that point. And I get an email from Tyler and he's done the bulletin and he's given it to me to, to look it over and I... And uh, I look it over, and I'm thinking about the bulletin, but I'm really thinking about this fact. Tyler is awake. And I'm outside his hotel. I said, Tyler, I couldn't find a room. I've slept in my car. What well, kind of? hadn't really slept. But is it possible that I could go up to the room and get a shower before the quizzing starts? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We're in room 313. I said, okay. He said, Gregory's downstairs eating breakfast, and you can come up here. I'm getting ready to leave, and... And uh, we're getting all the kids together. I said, okay. So I get all my luggage and all this stuff, and I go in the front door of Fairfield, and I don't see Gregory eating breakfast anywhere. I'm like, where's Gregory? Uh, he must have already finished up, you know. So I get in the elevator and go up there. I go to 313, and 313 looks a little strange. The door, you know how it has that metal thing that locks from the inside, that little metal thing that swings and... Security lock. Well, that thing is inside the door to where the door will not close and lock. So, I mean, I could have just pushed it and gone in, which I almost did. But something said, you may want to knock first. So I knocked on the door. I said, Tyler? And I hear a voice that's neither Gregory nor Tyler's. (laughs) Who is it? God is my witness. I almost said, housekeeping! (laughs) I said, wrong room! And I run down to the elevator. I go down the lobby. I get out in the parking lot. Of course, the people now at the desk at Fairfield are like, who is this guy? He's come in with his bags. He's gone out with his bags. I go out in the lobby, I said, I text Tyler, I was like, are you guys at the Fairfield Inn, Davis Parkway? Oh, no, no, we're at a different Fairfield. (sighs) But it was worth it. The Palm Bay kids took first, second, and third. Well... I should, 
I, sh I should fully clarify that for Brother Jenkins' sake. He keeps me straight on Facebook. The team that came in first now is Alaska. The Lindsay girls. But we call them Palm Bay North. <clears throat> and so I got a chance. And of course, I was so thankful I wasn't quizzing. Because I'm like sitting there and I'm almost incoherent. And the Lord starts putting all this stuff in my heart about how sometimes life can throw all these curveballs and things are just spinning out of control. And yet he can just give us peace in the midst of the storm. You can't get your eyes focused on what... You know, Naaman, Naaman almost lost his miracle because he got focused on the physical properties of the Jordan River. If you just look at this water thing from a natural standpoint, people say, well, what happens when you're baptized? I mean, is there something magic in the water? It's not the, it's the spiritual power of obedience to the Word of God that transforms us from the inside out. The Bible says that when we're baptized in Jesus' name, that there is a remission of our sins or a removal of our sins. The record is expunged because of the power of the name of Jesus. It isn't that there's some kind of magical formula in the natural water, but oh, there are spiritual waters at play, and there is a supernatural experience. So you can't look at the Jordan River from a natural view. You, you got to realize that if I just obey what the man of God said and go down in the river one time, go down in the river two times, and when he came up on the seventh time, the Bible said that his skin was as a newborn babe. Why is that? Because the Bible says in Romans 6, 4, Paul said, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Here's why. That we shall arise in newness of life. Here's what's so incredible about this wonder-working water. The Spirit of God that saturates our heart. It prepares us through the obedience of the Word of God. And when you repent, that's the headwaters to Jordan. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus, that's the headwaters to Jordan. Because guess what's happening? The Spirit of God is getting a habitat that it can dwell in. And when the Spirit of God comes in, it saturates the atmosphere. And the dew point rises. The dew point is, is how, much, how much moisture is in the atmosphere. Job was at the end of his... I mean, he couldn't go another step further. He, he just, he's dealing with all the pain and the misery of his sickness, his disease, and his friends and wife and family. Everybody's deserted him as well. Everything's gone. He's there curled up in an ash. They used just... They would get ashes and they would sit and just to try to ease all the boils and, the, and all the scars of their sick. And he's there and he can't hardly make it another day. And he said, oh, but yea, the, the Lord slave, he does well, I trust him. I go forward, he's not there, I look back. And my right, he hideth himself on his left. But he knows the way that I take. And when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. And he's sitting there and he's trying to get the right perspective and attitude. And he looks at an old dead branch and he sees there's a little bud of green coming out of it. And he's like, how is that thing alive? How is that that is dead producing life? And he gets the revelation. He said, through the scent of water, life is coming. Now, that old dead limb has a seed in it. And it can smell water in the atmosphere. And just the smell of it, just the anticipation of it is bringing life out of something that's dead. Oh my friend I don't know what you may have gone through but I'm here to tell you I've got a God with a source of water that is saturating the atmosphere and if you're sick you can be healed. If you're dealing with sin I've got a God hallelujah that can forgive you and save you. And make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? Ooh. Mm, I feel the atmosphere becoming saturated. The water of God's presence. The water of God's power. 
Don't let the contrary winds of your culture steal the joy of the water. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 12 that therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. The water is just the precursor to the resurrection. It's the headwaters to the outpouring of the Spirit. Kings, we read about Elijah who's challenged all the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the groves up at the top of Mount Carmel. He said, let's see whichever God answers by fire. That's the real God. They had been in a serious drought. Everything was dying. Livestock was dying. Israel had backslid. They had a backslidden king, Ahab. Jezebel, his wife, had totally taken Israel off track. They get up to the top of Mount Carmel. Elijah says, go ahead, you prophets of Baal, 400 and 450. Prophets of the groves, 950 of them. You guys can go first. You can have the sun at its brightest point. And they did all kind of incantations and jumped around. And the Bible said they started cutting themselves. And God couldn't answer them because their God's not alive. And Elijah started getting really cocky in the Holy Ghost. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you've got to yell a little louder. They tried everything they could until they were all wore out. They cleared them all out. Elijah said, okay, now it's my turn. But before I pray, I want them to bring in 12 barrels of water. Do you know how precious the water was at this point? Those people are just looking as Elijah's men are pouring barrels of water on the sacrifice, running down the altar, filling the trench around it. Elijah doesn't want there to be any excuse. Elijah's not worried about wasting the 12 barrels because he knows he's got the God of an outpour. And he just prays a simple prayer, and the Bible says, that the fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, licks up all the water. Like God saying, that's mine. That's mine. Pulls it up. The people repent. Oh, it's got to be the true God. He answered my fire. And even though he had answered by fire, they still needed water. They were in a drought. They had not seen rain. I'm talking about a serious drought. I'm talking about life-threatening, livestock-killing drought. Okay, Elijah, we believe in one God. We believe, we believe, but we need water. We need an outpouring. Elijah sends them all home, and him and Surrey get to the top of the mountain, and the Bible says they look toward the sea. Oh, hallelujah. The land's in a drought. I stood up there on the top of Mount Carmel. You can see the Mediterranean Sea from up there. Instead of looking back to where the problem was, they looked to where the solution was. Come on. We got to look to the sea. We got to look uh, to the hills from whence cometh our help. Uh, come on. I know we're dealing with stuff, but I got a God. Hallelujah. That's got an outpour that's coming. Mm. He looked toward the sea and he started praying. The Bible said he cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and started praying. Now he's really praying. I mean, the fire came with just a simple prayer, but now he's interceding every so often. He sits up and looks at his servant and says, go look. And he goes and looks and says, there's nothing out there, Elijah. And Elijah goes back to intercede. Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. Seven times. Just like the seven that Naaman went down in the Jordan River before he was cleansed of leprosy. Just like the seven times they had to march around the city of Jericho. Seven times. And on the seventh time when he comes back. Oh my goodness, I love this story. I've always preached about this cloud that the servant saw. I always thought that the Bible says that it was the, the size of a man's hand. I thought it was just an indication that it was a that it was a small cloud. 
read it again early this morning. It actually says that it was a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And I realized as God gave me the revelation of this verse that I've never seen before and never heard it preached about this. So it's got to be from the Lord. It wasn't that the cloud was small. It was that the cloud was the hand of God that was already at work. The one drop of rain has not fallen yet. The servant said, there is this there is this little cloud it's coming out of the sea like a man's hand. And Elijah says, get down. Get to the city. There's a great rain that's coming. But it's just a little cloud. It doesn't matter how little it is. It's the hand of God that's already at work. How many times you haven't seen your answer yet, but you can see that God's at work. You can see that God's already given you an indication. It's going to be okay. I don't have all my problems solved yet. I'm still dealing with hurt. I'm still dealing with pain. But it's going to be alright. Because God has put His hand in the matter. Would you bow your head and close your eyes right now? I feel the at, I feel the atmosphere saturated with water. Mm, I feel the outpouring of the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray God that the atmosphere that you're going to change in this city this coming weekend would begin right here today. As your people have assembled under the banner of your name, in your presence, in your house today. And we feel the presence of God all around us. I'm asking you now, Lord, to saturate this atmosphere. And let faith rise up in your people. Faith to say anything is possible. Faith to say I'm going to be healed in the name of Jesus Faith to say my marriage can be saved. Faith to say my children are coming home. I pray right now for the outpouring of your spirit in the name of Jesus. If you need a supernatural touch in your body, we still got some time. It's not 12 yet. It may be the healing. It may be that... That outpouring of His Spirit, you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Or it may just be that you're like, Pastor, I just need that well. It's been clogged up with the cares of life. I just need that river source to flow. Come on, I want to get my joy back. If you need God to do something special, I wonder if you just step out from where you're standing right now and just come down to the front if you're comfortable doing that. If you want to stand in the aisle, you can, but you can just make some sort of move that would indicate that you're ready now to receive your miracle. Whatever it may be. You're saying, God, I can feel in the atmosphere that saturation point. I know the power and the presence of God is here. It doesn't mean you've been free of trouble. You've had things come your way. But oh, God is saying, I, I've come to give you a new life this morning. Uh, come on, a new way of thinking, a new way of walking, a new way of acting. Uh, I've come right now to believe that, God, you're at work in my life. I don't have to sit on the sidelines. I don't have to live in fear. Come on, I feel God saying, I've got a refreshing for you. Come on, there's peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the power of God that's at work. Jesus, yes, Lord. We saturate the atmosphere with our praise.